Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Dylan Newworth is on the show today. Dylan is a Seattle artist whose primary medium is neon, but he identifies as an artist who works with light, space, and interactive technologies. To get a sense of what he does outside of Neon, check out his digital video storytelling, which can be seen on museum websites, including the Bellevue Arts Museum. Dylan is also the creative director of Western Neon and the executive director of the Western Neon School of Art. Similar to the path taken by Dan Friday, who was featured on episode 18, Dylan got his start in Seattle working for Dale Chihuly, but quickly found his groove in the world of Neon where he has become a unique, preeminent force in the Seattle arts community and throughout the country. The first word I would use to describe Dylan is cool. I'm talking like James Dean cool, or Fonzie cool, for those who are old enough to remember the Happy Days reference. To get a sense of how cool this guy is, check out his photos on the DreamPath website on his episode page. Dylan is not only a cool guy, he's also wicked smart and is driven and passionate about what he does. As you listen to him talk about his journey from childhood into the arts, you can't help but be drawn into his story and narrative and root for him. He's an artist who is all in in the art world. Everything he does professionally seems to be motivated by a pure, organic, authentic interest in creating something unique and impactful. He currently has pieces in the Bellevue Arts Museum and has an installation outside the Museum of Museums on Capitol Hill in Seattle. He also has an installation in Wyoming and is currently working on a novel, so his creative interests seem to be branching outside of visual art. This interview took place at Western Neon in Seattle, in a conference room that I thought was going to be nice and quiet. But to my surprise, the sounds of the neon artists working in the shop reverberated into the room we were in. But I think it makes our talk even more interesting and kinetic. The background noise of the artists doing their thing kind of buzzes to the vibration of Dylan's narrative, and I think makes for a really special episode. So I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging discussion with Dylan Newworth. So uh, Dylan Newworth, thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We're here at Western Neon in downtown Seattle, and uh, we're here at your, this is a, a neon fabrication studio, and uh, we're in a the conference room and i just got introduced to your crew back there that's doing some work and um, thank you for having us oh of course my pleasure yeah. yeah i had the the real um pleasure of seeing your work in person over the last couple of weeks and last night i i checked out all my friends at the museum of museums yeah museum of museums yeah um so tell me how that project came about uh, you know, it's really interesting. Um, my friend Greg Lundgren um, has been a um, culture shaper, artist, provocateur, um, just kind of an operator in um, art and music and culture and lifestyle in Seattle for um, as long as I've known him, which is about 20 years. Um, he was, I would say, one of the first good friends I met in um, Seattle You know, when I moved here in 2001. Um, it was on July 5th, and I was wearing a T-shirt that he had put out uh, that said, I heart art critics. And um, that was uh, just one of Greg's things. And I walked by his old uh, 
uh, Vital Five was the name of is is the name of his uh, his kind of imprint, and he had a space at a um, car dealership that was like a '70s car dealership. It was amazing, um, where the Whole Foods is now at the corner of Westlake and uh, Denny. And so I walked by there on July 5th, and you know I look, and he looks out the window, knocks on the window, and it's like points to the shirt, and I like look at it, and he's like, you know, come in, and you know we met, and um, so I've been you know hanging out with him and, and that crew of people. They're my first big kind of like art family in Seattle, you know, at that point. And uh, just throughout the years and the projects, just, you know, always stay connected. And um, so he hit me up and said, you know, I was kind of actually taking 2019 off from doing projects. It was kind of like, I'm just, I need a break. And um, 18 was like a huge year. And so, uh, but he called me and said, hey, I have, I have an interesting idea. I'm doing this thing, Museum of Museums, you know. And so I went and I, just, I was like, yeah, it's very Greg, you know, went and checked it out. And he's like, I, you know, here's what I want to do. And I, I want, I want this, I want color here. I want this. And so, you know, we just kind of collaborated and had some fun. And then this piece just kind of was always been in the back of my mind. Um, I love when that happens. You know, I always have ideas that seem to sort of keep percolating. And when it's the right time, it's the right time, you know. Um, and, you know, and for me, I always, um, I draw a lot from, you know, where I grew up in Athens, Georgia is a big, you know, big music town, right? That's like where R.E.M. is from. That's where like alternative music and indie rock kind of comes from. Indigo and, Girls too? Uh, in that area, yeah, yeah in the area. Um, you know, it's just, it was just this really cool place and uh, really magical and classical. It's called the Classic City, for instance. Yeah. You know, um, you know my mom taught Michael Stipe in high school. Oh you my know? goodness. So it's just kind of deep roots with that. Uh, so for me, I draw a lot of music, right? So I view a lot of what I do is kind of like... Um, Maybe I'm always, maybe I'm like kind of like a, wish I was a musician my whole life or something, but a lot of my work is kind of, I look at it like albums and singles and EPs and kind of B-sides and demos, you know, it's kind of how I look at my stuff. And so what we started talking about in mom, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like a, this could be an awesome single. Let's do it. You know? And, um, so I had the idea and, and, and we started, you know, messing around with it and getting it like this, this, this feels good. You know, this, this idea of kind of train tracks you know the light rail comes by there um or the the uh the trolley car and but train tracks and like circuitry and kind of of course you know seattle and tech um but you know that idea of analog is like tracks and then like the circuit board and kind of like technology coming together and then like the subway system and like the idea of kind of lines merging together and you know friendships that happen over evolve over many years and, and, and they, they break apart and come back together again. And mm-hmm. so we started working on it and, um, everybody, you know, and my team got together, you know, um, my, my, my studio is a, I consider my studio a huge collaborative process. So it's always people coming in and coming out and projects and we got behind it and started doing it. And then all these people started showing up by the woodwork, you know, like people if I hadn't seen in 10 years started popping up at museum of museums because Greg has that magnetism, right? Where it starts pulling these people from, all these places and uh so people are showing up and i was just like thinking about it and um usually my titles for stuff are really either cryptic or really kind of like they mean something to me or they're like really like you know source code or screens or kind of ominous right but yeah. i was just like thinking about these people showing up and then the lcd sound system song you know all my friends started just that, that that rhythm came on the radio i was like oh my god totally all my friends and I was like, hey, Greg, man, like, what do you think about all my friends? Is that like, a, I mean, I hate titles and it's kind of annoying, but he's like, I love it. And I'm like, is it kind of corny? He's like, what is corny? I'm done with corny. It's just real. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was, that's kind of how it came about. And nice. it's just cool that like, really be honest, man, like 
I, I put a lot of thought into my work. It's really conceptual, to be honest. It's very surface and very, you know, it has a certain, of course, it looks really poppy and it looks really like visually pleasing. Yeah. But it's there's so much conceptual stuff that goes into it that really nobody even sees. But to have something have just a real direct line from let's do this to here's the design to here it is to there it is and have it be like have that impact on people it's had so far. Yeah. That's cool. But that's, it's interesting that you mentioned the digital analog intersection mm-hmm. because our friendships, if we're talking about all my friends, our friendships these days are an intersection of analog and, and digital and mostly digital. Sure. You know, everything we do is you know, texting. Don't call me <laughs> face to face is so rare. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, and, and it's, it's, and that actually to me is pretty, it resonates pretty heavily, you know, because like I, you know, a part of how I got, you know, I've always made, I've always been creative my whole life. I've always been an artist my whole life, but there's, you know, a period there where it just wasn't active or it certainly wasn't positive. It was, it was, uh, you know, when I was, I've been sober since 2011. Um, but during the years, like the black hole years, you know, um, and it's, and it's a good, it's a good sort of circle back on Craig and our relationship. But like, in, anyway, like that period of time, like I just, you know, at the end of that black hole period, you know, cause I moved to Seattle and it was like meeting all these people and doing all these things and projects and opportunities and, and, you know, what you want when you move somewhere and things are getting kind of exciting. Um, but you know, then I just pretty much wrecked it all, you know, and at the very end it was like this black hole and, um, I didn't have anything, you know? So when I got, got sober and was kind of rebuilding everything, I literally had to like lean on because social media was just coming out. That's when like Facebook and like Instagram started popping up in like 2011, 12, it was like, this is web 2.0. Right. Right. You know? So for me, I kind of like rebuilt myself back up in a digital sense, like reaching out to people through the internet and kind of being like, was considered this, like, you know, someone told me a friend in New York, like we always thought of you like an internet artist, but that made physical stuff. Your medium kind of like references this like digital sense, but it's really physical, but you're kind of, your your themes are about this disconnection in what we see in analog and digital life and that divide. Right. Yeah. You know, so that is to me that, was kind of probably subconsciously put into that piece for sure. Yeah. So when did you come up from Athens? Uh, you know, I moved here in 2000, like winter of 2000. So 2001, I got here right before it turned into the new year. Oh, okay. And that's when the, the drugs started and, Oh uh, no. Oh no. no okay. No. Yeah. I mean, Athens, I mean, first of all, I'm lucky to have made it out of Athens because it's like a very comfortable black hole. You know, I mean, it's yeah. a college town. It's, it's like, you know, it's just this like magical place in the South where this confluence of the university, the people, the place, um, you know, it's just kind of got this, uh, uniquely Southern thing happening, but it's also kind of, uh, super progressive because of the university and international feeling. Cause yeah. it's, it's a huge research university. So it was just, you know, I mean, I was going to, you know, we were going to like, you know, house shows and house parties, like, you know, college bands playing when we were like 15 and just like getting out and, you know, mm-hmm. living a crazy life. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it started back then. I mean, that's kind of where I got like the idea, you know, where we sort of fell into how I lived my, you know, most of my whole life, you know, and still kind of do just without, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, yeah. <laughs> like partying, man, like it's love to party, you know, and yeah. just like get out and live life and do stuff. So, you know, it started there and, and, um, that's when I got to Seattle, it was part of just being an artist, man, you know, it yeah. always has been right. Yeah. This is what it is, you know, and, but it took me a long time to kind of like understand that, you know, there's this identity that you're trying to create with that. 
right? And that's just a false case, you know, and that authenticity is the most powerful and flexible medium that there is, right? So for a long period of time there, you know, I mean, I was creating, using powers of creativity in a negative sense and and in a very, you know, cruel way, right? Like it was like a desire, like an ego, like, you know, and, you know, hunger and ambition, but those can be twisted in very, very right. negative ways. Ulterior right? motives. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that was the, that was the turn when, you know, I did get sober and it took me a while, you know, it's not like instantaneous, like, oh yeah, I get it now, you know, like, it, like year three, it kind of clicked. Right. Like, ah, oh, I see what's going on here, you know? And, um, so that kind of, you know, and it's every day, right? It ebbs and flows, but um, it's, it's something now like an almost year nine coming up, almost, you know, almost a decade. Um, it's, you know, it was, of course, obviously the right choice, and it's led to so many awesome things. So. How do you feel your art changed after becoming clean and sober? Uh, you know, I think the really the most, the most powerful thing about it was that it started to actually be about, um, I say, about something. And that's kind of weird because I was always considered, like, you know, my friends, like, I was always the research artist. Like, it's conceptual. Like, it's always about getting to referencing something that is behind the curtain and what you're seeing physically or the thing that you're seeing is a result of a process or it's kind of like a uh, what i would call a residue from something you know you're yeah. an experience and this is object is kind of like this lived object or it has this kind of other meaning and it was always you know I, i'm just a i'm a reader like i just devour research and read and take things in and soak things up and uh, but when i got you know sober it was when the work became more personal it was, I was started, I mean, I realized that I had this like huge cavern of radio, radioactivity in me. Cause you know, I didn't, it wasn't like I just woke up and said, Hey, let's, let's party. I mean, it's kind of where I, how I grew up too, which is heavily linked to how I got into the medium of working with illuminated like neon. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that comes from how I grew up. I mean, I, I had this, um, and I've told the story a million times, but it never is not resonating. Right. Right. Is, is that, you know, in, in my kitchen where I grew up, you know, my mom, she, you know, her second husband and, and, and that had sort of started dissolving and our dad wasn't in the mix. And, um, so we had, you know, my brother, and my sister, and my mom were living in this house and it's so like way out in the woods and stuff. And there was in the kitchen though, her second husband had given her a neon sign that said her name, Judy, but it said Judy's like, it's her place, but kind of like a bar. Yeah. You know? And that was in our kitchen. And then there was also a black and white TV in the corner. And then under the, the, the sink in this cabinet, um, lit with like fluorescent lights was where she kept you know the bourbon right so you know at night she'd get home and she was an english professor and she worked in you know continuing education you know she's she's brilliant and you know she's really she had the trashy book club this kind of pro kind of like proto-feminist kind of book club and all these like university women got together and drink wine you know, talk about john opdyke and you know stuff like that so oh, it was that's just, cool you know cool household right but at night you know she would she was definitely you know had a drinking problem and so she would, you know, do all the stuff and the responsibilities, but then she would, you know, invariably, you know, pass out. Right. Yeah. So I'd be up late at night and had that, you know, black and white TV. I turned on that sign because the transformer was under the stove, you know, on the side of the kitchen, turn mm -hmm. that sign on, which is like this red glow. And you had the TV with the, like this, you know, the black and white watching like Blade Runner for the first time, which is not a black and white movie, <laughs> you know, Terminator, Robocop, like all this late night. futuristic stuff totally yeah. you know which is in sci-fi so, so i'm just like able to escape into this world and then the light under the stove or the cab to the sink you know with the with the bourbon right so it's kind of like this environment you know and and so it took me like getting sober and just kind of like diving in like i had something to prove which i probably did you know it was kind of like 
I'm, I'm proving I'm alive. I'm proving I'm like, have wasted all this decade of time, you know, in this black hole. I've got something to say. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. And that, you know, I'm, I'm not a piece of shit. And like, also like, hey, I'm sorry to all these people. Like, I think I've like let you all down in some way. I've let myself down, right? Yeah. Um, but it took a while to really understand. I just was really recreating that room. Every single thing I did was kind of like this installation about something I was feeling impulsively inside to communicate. A very focal point neon piece and other kind of props, if you will, things. And it just took me a long time to go, oh, wow. You know, that's that room. Yeah. Really, I think, you know, and, um, and it led to a really powerful body of work in 2017, 18. That was a part of the, what the stuff I mentioned in 18 was kind of this big banner year. And it was yeah. just kind of like, man, I need a break from this stuff. And that's know? the stuff you find. That's the work that you find at uh, Bellevue arts museum. That was a part of it. Yeah. yeah. That was a part of it. And then what you didn't see there was this show called, uh, the body of work called metanoia. And that was created with like a huge collaboration with myself and my mom and my sister and uh, a, a VR artist named Grant Kirkpatrick and an audio artist named Fritz Rodriguez and um, like you know Jason Christian who's a glass blower, uh, Cold Q Press who make like risograph materials. Um, so we printed a graphic novel. There was um, you know the, the Danny Case, Will Kirtley on the neon side of things. There was uh, Tony and Ruth Lockwood at Oxbow. You know there was I mean this is, this is like a list of people that goes on and on to kind of get that body of work to happen. And what that was was like a, a virtual reality recreation of that kitchen as a space, right? And then there was a comic book about all these things in my journals and being like we found journals when I was like eight years old, and we found these journals and drawings and like put all that stuff plus when I was a teenager and like an early years in Seattle into like a comic book metanoia. So then it was like audio recordings of like the noble gases, neon and krypton and xenon, helium and um, argon, you know, sampled out of tubes. And we like put those through like, you know, contact mics to see what those gases sounded like and made techno tracks out of them. And like, and there, there was a performance and it was kind of like a ritual of going like, telling my story because you know like in in, in self-help meetings you you know you compelled to tell your story at like a speaker's meeting yeah but i have since you know since getting out all the legal stuff which is a steep amount of things i've, I've done a fair amount of legal stuff you know in my life and in jail time and some stuff like that so but once i got out of the requirements of going to aa i have not attended aa regularly it's just not not been my program you know, um, working through my stuff visually and artistically became my program. Yeah. And understanding what the, the power of now and being present and authenticity and honesty, you know, has been my personal program. Um, I don't advocate that for everybody. Anybody's yeah. path is their path. Yeah. Path is not the, your path or the best path. It's just been my path. But that um, was a, perf a telling of the story. And in the middle of that, we... I entered into a, the virtual reality room for the first time and we projected it on the wall so that people in the room saw what I saw for the first time going back to this place that was like so formative. So it's like PTSD encounter. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's quite a vivid, um, yeah. vivid description of, I mean, when I was watching uh, a video last night that you had put together something to do with flash, there's a four minute video where you are, Oh, that character. You're talking as a, as a computer yep. character. Right. And you go into the, you know, the bourbon under the sink very briefly and the neon sign. But it's just, I mean, you're talking about that 
for a matter of seconds, right. but you still paint this extremely vivid image of what you were seeing as a child and how it has um, influenced you to this day. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And it actually, I was, I was, I was watching it. It was like a four minute video. And at the end I was like almost crying. I was like, wow, that's, that's intense how you can take a, um, cause you, you weren't even talking as you, your voice was heavily modulated. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm like, how does, how does that happen? Oh, that's <laughs> but anyway, great. Well, cool. yeah. I'm glad that worked. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was no, that's really... my favorite thing I've ever made. To be honest with you, that video, that one video that, you know, new folklore, that video itself yeah. that by far, but definitely the, I mean, well, I guess now all my friends takes that cake, but, um, that one, yeah, I love that piece. Cause, and I've been told that's like, man, that's like the one I'm like, I know it's awesome. Cause it just, you know, it combines everything. It's like the auto, it's like a story. It's it also is. kind of entertaining. It's kind of weird. It's kind of unsettling. It's like the digital is there enough to like that character. You know, it's kind of futuristic. Like yeah. what? And it just has all that stuff put together. And I, I like I like pieces that do something very efficiently because I think our attention spans have really suffered <laughs> over the years. So I agree. nobody's reading books anymore. Right. You know, we're we're barely watching uh, movies anymore. It's it's now like thirty minute episodes of television, if that. Right. But you know, in terms of artistically, if you can pack something into like a four minute story right. that is so visual and, you know, it just gives you this really, this paints this picture that um, takes you, takes you somewhere, yeah, you know, into absolutely. someone's emotions. That's great. Um, how did you prepare to be an artist in terms of education or uh, workshops or, you know, is it all, is it all self-taught? What? What was that journey like? Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny. We just revisited this with my son. You know, he's he's 15 and he is a, an excellent drawer and uh, he draws, he sculpts, he does, he's getting into it. Um, he, um, you know, he's just pretty much resisted a lot of what I've either tried to show him for drawing when we we're drawing, which I think is awesome. <laughs> he's just doing his own thing. Um, and, he, you know, he's incredible. He's talking about going to like, you know, take AP class in high school and get the credits. And I was like, that's funny because like, let's go back and look at my AP class submission. Because like the teacher was like, dude, you're going to get a five or a one right? You're going to get the best or the worst score. That's all that's going to happen here. And I got the worst score, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, I mean, you know, I grew up uh, heavily encouraged to be creative and was always making art. And, you know, that was always a thing. And like, you know, my grandmother who helped raise us, she was always just like, yeah, this is your thing. Like, let's, let's see whatever you need. And I was in theater. And so I was always being creative and it was always, you know, that was always, always happening, always drawing, always doing stuff. Um, but I'd be like, you know, it, like, 13 years old down in the basement getting like a like a half full balloon that was attached to like a stick and a rock and like a can and making some weird thing and you know I was always just like doing stuff and looking at books and like taking that in and we'd always go to museums we'd go to you know DC and New York and it's always like being educated about what this is there is this this thing called an art world yeah you know and that's me, a unique childhood oh yeah it I mean, was it was heavily this like always available right yeah. so it was just like always happening taking classes here and there um but i would either always i mean i get kicked out of every class or they would just be like he does not yeah i mean you know but my mom actually took me to so she had, when i was like a really young child she took me to get tested because i was doing well in school and they're like let's get them tested like let's see what's going on and they came up to um kind of a kind of a creative problem-solving aptitude tests and I was just like I'm not taking it and they're like well that's the most creative response you know um, hard to handle but the most creative response yeah um so you know I, I did well enough in school going all the way up and you know art throughout high school um you know got that one on that AP test um <laughs> but ended up you know going to UGA because I only applied to one school I'm gonna go to UGA 
my, you know, my mom taught there. And so I was probably going to get in. I got in, um, you know, and what's UGA, uh, university of Georgia. Oh okay. yeah. So the, you know, huge state school, awesome right. art program. Um, you know, we actually, you know, Lamar, Lamar Dodd school of art. We'd actually met Lamar Dodd. I mean, you know, I, we met Jack Davis who drew for mad magazine, you know, gave me a drawing, you know, mm -hmm. just, we always had this around yeah. and, uh, so I was super lucky um, for that. Um, but then when I got in, you know, I fell into the sculpture program. Well, actually, that's not true. I got into the first art classes, and because I did not get out of taking those classes, I had to take the basic art classes. I ended up dropping out of school for like a year. I ended up living in like Colorado and, and or, you know, Boston and Oregon and Colorado. And I actually broke all the ribs in the right side of my body at the end of the last day the snowboarding season, you know, it was the last day. I was like, Hey man, watch this, you know? And I was just ripping this killer jump and boom, just totally bit it. And so in recovery from that, I was like, what am I doing? I got to go back and like finish this, you know? So went back, fell into sculpture and that was it. When I fell into sculpture, I met these people. Those are my people. And, um, we were just lucky that we had all these processes, man. Like it was like, we had a foundry, we had a 3d printer, 1999. Mm. We had, um, all this cool technology and stuff. So I kind of fell into understanding that there was a way to make money by skills, right? Yeah. Learning how to weld, learning how to do all these things, um, to support being creative because it's so difficult to be supported when you're creative, if you don't want to depend on other people, yeah. I don't like to depend on other people like that. And if you're a sculptor, those are, those are good crossover skills to have. hundred percent. Yeah. It was like my, it was, I was like a painter, like what's up? Really? Like, yeah. no man, like let's go make, make money, you know, <laughs> right. like let's, let's, let's work, you know? And, um, you know, that's when I first started messing with, that's when neon came back into my life. Cause I knew people who did that. We didn't have that. Um, I think I was even offered a, a guy's like, Hey, come out and learn it. But I was always working. I never had a chance to like, I had to work at a restaurant. I mean, I worked at the grit, which was a building that Michael Sipo in that building. So it was always around there too. So we all partied in that scene with like Michael Stipe when they were in town and, Neutral Milk Hotel and all these awesome bands that were at that point in time. Oh, that's incredible. Plus I worked at the 40 watt. So, you know, I saw like everybody who came to there before there was this internet thing happening. There was like, you know, the Pixies and Sonic Youth and like Nirvana was coming around there and Beck and Flaming Lips and Guided by Voices. And I mean, you know, the list goes on and on, but I worked at the club right there at like 97, eight, nine. Oh, so wow. It was just like, that was the time, Yeah, you know? So that was cool too. That's fantastic. So how important was formal education, university education to your formation as an artist? And the reason I ask that question is that I'm sure some listeners are wondering if they're in their, you know, just graduate from high school and they want to go in that direction. Um, but it's expensive. It's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, t tell us about how important that experience was. Um, you know, looking back, I would say this, um, it took me a while to realize that the most powerful experiences for me as an artist have only ever been through who I met and how I met them and what happened after we met or didn't happen. You know, that sounds kind of nebulous, but it really, what it really means is that by knowing a person like, for instance, like Greg for all those years, and that's 20 years later that we made the coolest thing we ever made together. Right. Did it take 20 years for us to get where we needed to be in life to kind of like know that we're like pretty okay at certain things and can like quickly pull a trigger and make something cool. Maybe, but like knowing, you know, having that relationship where he just saw me in a t-shirt and then it led to all this, uh, that's cool. So yeah. at, at UGA really was more important about meeting friends that that happened, right? Like I met a guy in the sculpture program, David and his wife, Ashley came as a graduate student. They ended up you know, getting married. 
they moved to uh, University of Wyoming. She's a sculpture professor now. She's the head of the whole department. You know, she's a tenured professor. Um, they named their son Dylan, you know, Elijah Dylan. Um, they commissioned me to make a huge sculpture at the University of Wyoming Art Building. We actually ended up getting my wife and I married in front of that before we shipped it out there. I mean, these, are, these oh, the fabric goodness. of these experiences yeah. came from that. Those relationships. Those relationships, yeah. you know. Um, as far as formal education, and I met some other professors there that I really valued highly, but as far as like, hey, this class was perfect or this this experience was perfect, I just don't believe in that. Yeah, I think that whatever whatever path feels right, where you're meeting the right people, is the most important path. Yeah. You know, so if you can find a community, then hundred percent. Yeah, an 100%. art community that's in your, you know, whatever your vibe is. Yeah. Then that's that can be just as helpful as a university experience. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, if you need if you feel compelled to go back for a graduate degree and pay all that money for that and do that because you feel like you need to meet more people, that's cool. Go ahead and do that. But I, for me personally, like I don't I didn't I, I'm, I'm not in that kind of debt and I'm happy I'm not because I was able to take that and, and spend that money to make huge pieces and invest in that invest in like also what, what I also believe in is that it, it um, what, what I never found cool was that you know growing in the Athens right there's this it's the south there's people who have advantages to things and people who don't by virtue of how they where they come up from yeah. right so being in a college class and looking out and seeing a guy I went to high school with out working in the facilities that's fucked up why would i have a chance to go to college and this person would that's their opportunity is to only work in facilities and maybe that's their choice in life right but you know you get exposed to seeing that education is this privilege obviously and yeah. not everybody has access to that yeah but what we do have access to is being in certain places where you can choose to provide for yourself if if, if, if you can right and working hard yeah and like being focused on something and like that to me is more valuable you know, so for my work, I've always sought to find ways to like create situations where I can get people paid and pay other artists and like, Hey man, like I will pay you to do this. Like you're better at it than I ever was. Like you do that part. I'm going to do this part or let's get some money and like, let's go to a blue collar shop that usually does this and give them this weird project. Like check this out, you know? And like, I feel like I'm helping create work, Yeah. you know, for people too. So, you know, did college teach me that? maybe in an inverse way, yeah. but it didn't teach me how to be like a project manager. It didn't teach me how to be smart about dealing with certain business things. It didn't teach me any of that stuff. It just, I was able to meet people and mess with some really weird shit that I would never have access to. And if that's worth it for somebody, that's awesome. But they find another community that does that for them in a different way. It's more supportive. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, it sounds like also, I mean, as I talk to more artists and, and understand their journeys, it seems like luck has something to do with it sure. because, you know, gr growing up in a town like Athens, totally random that you're born into this family that is living in Athens, mm -hmm. which is, sounds like a fantastic city. I've never been there, but the way you describe it and what I know about it, it's a, it's kind of a, a cultural Mecca in Georgia. Mm. And, and I kind of look at it like, like Asheville, North Carolina, or Austin, Texas, or Austin, or, Texas, yeah, you know, sure. you, you have these progressive cities, very art, art friendly, musician friendly cities that are in the middle of areas that aren't so progressive. Right. But you know, t how great is that to grow up in an area like that? Mm -hmm. um, and also have a mom who is thinking about art and supporting you in, in that direction that you want to go. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 So when did you go from sculpture, you know, you say you fell into sculpture, but 
when did you find neon as your medium? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I fell into sculpture there, um, like I said, because it was kind of like, I mean, I've always loved to work. It was very blue collar. It was just like, you know, like, let's, let's make, let's make things. Let's do things. Right. It's, you know, um, that, that was always, I think what sucked me into it. I think, you know, when I, when I, and, and, and there was a, you know, a collaboration there with, um, Nick Holt's cousin, Rafe. Rafe Holt was a neon maker and Nick, uh, was kind of like, um, his mother was in the trashy book club with my mom. And so we always grew up looking up to Nick when we were younger. Like he had the Pink Floyd posters in the room and, you know, and then we always heard, oh, he fell into some trouble. He's at rehab and he's at this, you know, weird alternative school, you know, whatever. Right. But we came back to be friends in the older years. So he had this film festival and he um, commissioned me to make this huge sort of sculpture for the eyeball film festival. So I like, you should incorporate neon. That'd be cool. Like Rave can do it. And so again, I didn't have a chance to go out to make the neon with him because I had to work I was a line cook as well during, you know, I'm cooking and at the grit and this kind of thing. So he produced the neon, he had the object and I was like, cool. And we integrated it and it was awesome. And I was like, man, that's cool. So, you know, when I moved to Seattle, I got a job at this place called Earthwise, which is kind of like a building reclamation service. And they sell, you know, like old doors and windows and stuff. But it was at, across the street from the, um, we're in Western Neon right now on, on 4th Avenue South. But for a long time, Western Neon was over at First and Lander. And Earthwise is across the street, you know. Yeah. So I had an opportunity to um, do a show in Tacoma, right? My first show, kind of in the region. And I had just had this tattoo before I came back from um, Athens that said, you know, resist trademark on my wrist, my left wrist. And I was like, I want to make that neon. That's awesome. Oh, look, cool, Western neon. You know. So I <laughs> walk in there. I'm like, hey, can you guys make this? And I just did a sharpie marker. Like, I always have. I always. I still have a sharpie marker on me. You know, I'm always doing that. And they're like, yeah, that's cool, great. And that's all we need. And I'm like, awesome. I'm like, what, what colors? I'm like, well, the tattoo's orange and blue. You know, we worked it out. And I was like, cool. And, you know, for me, I'm like, um, like I said, like super kind of on this, I, the way I've always approached things is I'm always making ideas and I'm drawing and doing things, you know, looking at books and, you know, I had just, Fresh Cream had just come out. It was this fight on book, Fresh Cream. And it was just kind of like 10 curators pick 10 artists, and that's what the book's about. It's like these first sort of like wave of international surveys. This is kind of before the internet being effective at that. So I'm just sort of seeing how artists are working all over the world, and I'm just kind of identifying with things and going like, yeah, that's me. Okay, that's me. Like, I, I, I see that, right? Artists are working just all these different mediums, you know? And so that first show was like this neon sign. It was me performing with an amplifier and a microphone and like freestyle rapping to a boombox. There was this huge installation that came out of a briefcase. I'm like obsessed with cases and like magic kits and wunderkammers and these kind of things wrapped up in boxes and full of all this debris and residue and junk, you know, about my life right now, right? And so that was the first one. But if you look back at the kitchen, right, it's the same shit. That it's was like the this, first one. <laughs> yeah, it's a neon sign. Yeah, right. It's, or you know, a neon sculpture, a thing. And something kind of media, that way it was audio, boombox. We had this, you know, always playing college radio, you know, in the, in the radio, you know, in the kitchen. And um, the stuff of life that was just like in that room. Yeah. So that's kind of how I fell in. And Western Neon was kind of like the one, you know, and made a couple things uh, after that. Like my first diamond piece was there. And then, you know, when I came out of the black hole, that was one of the first places I went back into um, where I met Andre Lucero, who's the current owner, you know, an old friend of mine. Um, owner of Western Neon. Yeah. And yeah. so I first met him. So I went in there and I was like, hey, you know, and he remembers the day too. He's like, you know, who's this dickhead? He's like, hey, I came in there all hot, you know, like, so I want this. It has to be like this. And it has to be this color. It has to be this, you know, had it all like designed out and it said total war. And he's like, total war? Like, what's that? And I'm like, well, it's just, you know, 
that's it, man. You know? And he's like, I mean, that's it. I go, that's it. And he's like, <laughs> okay. You know, but you know, for me, it meant like, I'm a big fan of William S. Burroughs. And it was just kind of like, we live on a war planet. Like this planet could be anything, but it's a war planet. People mm-hmm. are at war for everything. Yeah. You know? And it also meant for me, like sobriety, like this is total war for me. This is like no, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing, right? Whatever that is. So I kind of fell back in. And I just kind of kept going back. And we had this relationship and kept making stuff and, you know. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy. Just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Thanks. And now back to the interview. How did you connect with Dale Chihuly? Uh, I actually answered a Craigslist ad <laughs> to really? be a studio assistant. Wow. Yeah, back in the day. And um, that would be like 2006. Okay, so this is still in the black hole era then. It is, yeah. yeah. I had, I, had uh, um, I was like, a, um, I was just random jobs and I just kind of like applied for this job. And then um, it, it was a Craigslist ad. And it took me like three months of interviews and things to, to, to get into the job. Yeah. You know, did you, were you applying as an artist or as a technician or, you know, like what you just applied as a studio assistant. Okay. It was, that was the job posting studio assistant, you know, which is, which is, which is how um, everybody who got into the area I worked in would answer an ad like that. Did you know how big of a deal that was when you applied? Well, it also was anonymous. You know, it was like international art studio looking for studio assistant. Oh, okay. I'm thinking, well, that's either Gary Hill the video artist who's well known here, or that's Dale Chihuly. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's it. Right. One of the in, two. In this area, that's probably, or Roy McMakin at that point in time. I was like, that's it, you know, and um, that I could think of. And so, yeah, I had no idea. And I ended up going to this address, and it's like a super anonymous location, and, you know, got in, and I was like, got it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's another one of those things that I fell into, right? I mean, not fell into, but like, was just the relationships that I, I formed in that that life that yeah. I spent my, my portion of my life I spent there super formative super amazing um, to be able to go through the changes I went through there to be able to come sober and still get a chance to go back to work there to be asked to come back um, you know I mean that was just epic you know and, and, and working with you know not only Dale but um, the art director there Parks Anderson and then um, director of exhibitions Tom Lind and what did you learn from Dale Chihuly um, that experience. I, I would just say the most powerful thing I learned there was just kind of, you know, how to be how to be an artist at any level. The doing of being an artist is the doing of being an artist. Now, it's kind of a cryptic thing, but I think for me it just means it doesn't matter what it is, but you have to do it, and you have to do a lot of it, and you have to do it all the time. Yeah. You know, and you have to then look back and see what you've done to go. Okay, let's either do more of that or let's just move forward. Let's do that. But you have to, just, it's just like tentacle spreading as far as you can yeah. because, you know, let's face it, life's short. So if you execution. To, you, you, execution. You, yeah. Right. And in, in that time frame that you just, it's just kind of like go, 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 do, do. Yeah. And, and then look back, right? Don't try to get it perfect. Just, you know, in, and, and I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. So it's kind of. And done is better than perfect. I've come to learn that. Yeah. yeah. I've come to accept that, you know, for sure. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And, and also that, um, it's total. The word total makes a lot of sense because all those environments, like all the buildings that we worked in and all the stuff that, you know, Dale's created is that he's always created something total. It's, it's from the, you know, from the, 
you know it, if it's an exhibition it's it's the it's the thing that the, that the you know it's not just the glass it is the glass right but that is just like one aspect of what this man has done through or that artist has done throughout their whole life we're mm-hmm. talking video when people weren't really doing that we're talking i mean he's taken a medium of glass that's the thing taken it in so many different directions and done so many different things with it and then the people he's brought in right all the people i met there through relationships that were brought into the magnetism of working on something bigger than themselves and right. you know and that, that, that was always so cool yeah and some of those people uh, wilbur right wilbur, oh, of course yeah, yeah and and uh dan friday mm-hmm. just really fun creative people who are in it for all the right reasons it seems like that you know that as well as i think what's really cool is that the ability there or the experiences there of working with really powerful women who work in creativity and i think i'll always respect that you know like renee divine and ashley long um two that stick out to me um are people who are you know on the project management side of things project coordination but like having that experience to where is the arts is so tilted towards you know people like me you know yeah white males right to have that experience to have grown up with powerful women in my life like my mom my grandmother and all the women in my mom's you know trashy book club and that whole world i mean this is like the you know 80s and 90s we weren't raised by men they weren't around it was divorces it was that whole thing yeah. we were raised by women so had that experience to work with women in that capacity was always rewarding to me and cool because it was like i'm used to this this is cool you yeah. know and so that was cool to have that and i have you know still keep in touch with Renee and Ashley um, now that I'm you know I'm not there and they've moved on to other chapters in life too so it's just cool to have had that happen too do you, do you find that that women are fairly represented in terms of the type of work that you do do you see women doing neon art and working with their hands and what involves you know a lot of welding and and mm-hmm. um, heat and you know in sort of an industrial environment um, you would think that that would be an environment where you wouldn't see a lot of women, but are you seeing yeah. s- something differently? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's awesome, especially. Well, it's really cool now that we're seeing a, a huge push to debro the art world. That's awesome, and to allow voices into the art world that were never there. I oh, think that's, I, I that's, like that debro. Debro this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, and to also have it where these voices are coming in that just were never there, right? And and or never had a chance to have that voice be heard. That's 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 awesome. Um, I like fully support that like i i know i get so tired of looking at me out there and just it's not interesting it's flat out you know and i want to hear other voices and other stories i have no idea what they are where they came from and that's cool um and in the neon it's been totally refreshing that i think that that's happening a lot quicker in that medium than i think other mediums like we you know for instance our school that we have um we have, you know, so we get one, two, three, four, like five people involved in our staff, and and two are women who are are are, are young women who are really adept at what they do and are, are 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 teaching us things from where they're coming from, which is great. And then a lot of our students are women, and they are awesome at it um, at the medium. Um, I'm finding, which is which is so great, um, and and I mean, like I'm finding, like I doubted that. It's just like, oh my god, this is so cool that like, wow, they're like crushing it you know it's mm-hmm. so cool to see that and um also she bends popped up which is a um an all-woman neon art kind of like now i would say a, a movement on some level because they've had shows um i think that they're coming up on their third or fourth iteration of that and it's just about women in the field working in it um and bending is referring to the actual bending of the class yeah, right yeah because you have this thing in neon where it's this you know people who are benders and people who are not 
And that is something that a lot of the, the thing is focused on because, and, and you know, it's definitely relevant. I mean, cause people are used to having it be where neon just like, Oh, I'm going to go have this made for me. I'm going to go have this made. Okay. Right. And so it's kind of this idea of people working with their hands. You see it in neon. Now you see it in ceramics. You see it in, um, not so much fabrication yet, but you will. It'll definitely happen. Um, you see it in the fact that hey, it's actually the you know the the, the maker of these things, the person who's doing the work, is yeah. as important or more important than quote unquote the artist. And I think that in some some instances that can be true. Um, it's it's just awesome to see that it's another voice popping up that wasn't there before. Yeah. that's good because it's making it known that hey, there's a person who bends. This is made by hand. You know? mm -hmm. This is this is how this is done, right? And I think that she bends has made a a huge um, presence with that. It's super, super cool and important to see. Um, the, the, the diversity of artists in that group is killer. Um, uh, you know, we, we've had visiting artists at the school that we started. And uh, I think we've, we've had, you know, Lisa Schulte, who's um, based in LA. She's an amazing mentor to me. Um, she's a, you know, a, a woman, uh, identifies as a woman. She's an artist. She runs a business that has been, long-standing since like the 80s uh she um she does it all and so that's cool to know that she's been in it for so long and is still so um you know humble about it and just smart and cool and doing her thing and it's just like you know when i when i met her in person we just became friends because we just kind of clicked up you know and, yeah. and so that's that's been cool so you are the creative director of the school here i'm the creative director at western neon and then the executive director of the school oh okay yeah so two separate hats that you two wear. separate hats there and then as artists and that's another hat and and then dad and you know husband, yeah so, so yeah. T tell us about the school and how that somebody who might be interested in applying how they would get into the school sure um we started the school in the winter of 2018 that was our first um class of eight students intro class and so western neon school of art was built on this idea that um what well, kind of goes a little further back um we have western neon was started by jay and michael blazik in 85 and it was started as a gallery western neon a place to show light art and it became a business um because uh, their father dean blazik was like this pioneer in neon in the 50s and um he worked at everbright signs and he ended up writing these books called the neon abcs and it was like uh now become like a bender's bible yeah um so how to work on the medium mm -hmm. and then he started a school um the northern wisconsin school of neon in anago wisconsin and so people you know answered an ad in the back of a magazine and like went to this school in the middle of nowhere and paid like three thousand dollars and took these classes and so the sons grew up in this atmosphere and we're like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, so they moved to Seattle and start this business or this gallery that became a business. Um, here we are today. Let's look back and start our own school to kind of reference the past and bring it, you know, full circle. And so we started the school with that kind of experimental idea and let's do this class. And at this point in time, now we have like three, you know, fall, winter, spring quarters, two intro classes and an intermediate so we have 24 students enrolled during a class time and we have a waiting list of like 500 people. Oh my goodness. We do workshops and stuff. So the best way is to get on our waiting list. And when we post those classes, pay attention to that email. Yeah. If you want to come sign up cause it goes fast. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell us about the business of being a neon artist and what the challenges are for you and have been over the last decade to get paid and to make a living. Yeah, to do it. Um, 
Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's um, a super challenging medium because it's, it, you know, number one, it's expensive. Um, it is an expensive medium. Um, it's not something where you just go down to, you know, how, whatever medium you work in, you don't just go down and get some supplies and, and start like making this big thing, right? And then it's a lot of front costs. And, and what I mean by that is that it's taken a long period of time for the medium of neon to be accepted as its own individual artistic medium. It's always, say, oh, I love that sign. It's like, it's not yeah. a sign, dude, it's a sculpture. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. And anybody in it will tell you that. And also sort of like that kind of idea of, are you involved in neon so you fabricate stuff for other people? Or do you fabricate it, or, or are you making it only for yourself? Or you do, do, are you doing both? Because you have to pay bills. And you know, people in the middle who do both, it can be a challenge to sort of step out and stand out as an artist who is artist who works in that medium, yeah. as opposed to a fabricator who sometimes has art somewhere, and you know that kind of mix, right? So there's a challenge there. So I think that um, you know, and for me, I don't identify as a bender. I'm not. I'm not the person in the fire making the tubes in in the fire. Yeah, I have made my tubes in the fire. It's significantly, I made Judy's the sign from you know my childhood because that made sense for me to make that. Yeah. I needed to sort of encounter the medium that way and that's kind of how i I've, I've been it's weird i've been definitely um, identified as an artist who works in light space and interactive technologies that's how i identify but i kind of get into whatever medium i'm working in you know super hands-on if that makes sense like i only work with anything if it makes sense like mm -hmm. and that could be anything like making a digital animation about my childhood with this weird you know puppet that has a weird voice like yeah got way into that and made that and figured that out. Um, but then I kind of, you know, move on to the next episode, like what's engaging. Right. And so like telling story, it's kind of like, I, I mean, I'm most interested in music and film. That's where I really, in, 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 in literature, but those are all things that kind of, to me come from kind of being like, I want, I'd like to direct a movie or I'd like to write and record and produce the album and do the artwork for the album and put it all together and the, the whole package, you know? Um, so I, it, for me, it's like taking bits and parts and pieces of things and putting them together to tell a story. I love doing that. That's yeah. cool. Um, I get, in, I get engaged by that. So to be a neon artist and, or, or to have sort of like, you know, the reason I kept falling back into the medium was just obviously it's like this intrinsic story I needed to tell. Yeah. I needed to keep going back to this room psychologically. And so I kept working with the medium, not really, um, it's because of relationships too. It's people I was working with and the, I liked working with Andre and Western Neon. It was a cool relationship. I kept learning things. I kept knowing more about, you know, like something kept guiding me back. Like I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to know more. And yeah. like, um, it's esoteric, man. You know, it's like, these are gases that literally come from space and they illuminate and it's like, whoa. And then I started finding other connections. Like what kept me engaged with it was like the idea of what we talked about in the beginning, the digital and the analog. I mean, check this out. This is kind of wild. I mean, these gases are elements. That's analog, right? Mm -hmm. Like neon, yeah. right? Which means new one, right? It's this gas that if you trap it in a vacuum and you put electrical charge to those particles, it glows red. That's what it does. You know, that's its nature property. Yeah. But it's what, what's, in, what's inside of silicon, which is glass, right? That's an element. But that element is also what we make microchips from, mm. you know? No. Okay. So if you look at the first computers, they were really vacuum tubes that stored an electron on either side. That's the first hard drive, 
right? But that was made possible because there was a glass tube there that had a vacuum inside of it, and an electron could line up on either side. Yeah. So the first way we looked at a screen lit up was through a cathode tube. That was a glass tube that illuminated that illuminated a glass r display to show data. Right. So this idea that you had a noble gas, a space gas, trapped in a tube that was discovered in 1898 by a tabletop experiment by firing particles and electronic, you know, at, at a at, at a plate, right? Um, which is you know really like the beginning of the particle accelerator, which is wild to me. But they're firing these particles at a plate and seeing this divergence of these electrons. Morris Travers and William Ramsey, and they discover these things. Neon, new one. This is a new thing. Yeah. Right. That sort of idea led to what I consider the digital. It, it's the idea of taking something that is so primordial of this gas in a tube. It's electrified. That lets me store data. Now I can see data. I use those same things to make microchips because we make microchips in an argon atmosphere because it purges oxygen, which can corrupt environments. That's why we use it in welding. It makes welding possible because it creates an argon atmosphere around where the welding is actually occurring molecularly, right? Mm, yep. Those are all related in some way. So for me to know that like there's this experience with the esoteric, which is the universe and time and space, and it gets captured in this, this material to be able to like the confluence of events to light up gas in a glass tube that led to the confluence of events to look at an object, which is a glass screen you swipe with your finger. That's a silicon. I'm looking at data behind that. It's made possible in an argon atmosphere to create that chip, like the physical infrastructure for the digital, knowing that that's all related in that way. That keeps me coming back to neon. Mm. Why, why neon? Why do that? Right? So yeah, the to answer your question now, after all that, those are big questions and they're expensive to research. Yeah. But I feel like I spent the last 10 years of my first 10 years of sobriety researching all that and keeping to work with the medium. So I kept fronting the money to do all those things, to be able to show people that, to say, check this out. This means something. It means something to me. And I think it means something to you. It's a big thing. Like, check this out. Did I get that idea across? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But it, it, in the end, it led me to metanoia, which eventually led me to say, I think I'm done here. I mean, yeah. I've reached the end of my journey with this. Like, I got back to the bottom. This is the bottom of the well. This is everything that was down there. So to now be in a position where I'm really very interested, and along the way I had public art opportunities that popped up, uh, great ones, you know. But the thing with Neon is that, and, and, and now I, I firmly believe this, to, you know, to, to efficiently answer your question at the end of all that, <laughs> okay. the business of being a Neon artist means that if you have big ideas in a medium, any medium, but with Neon, you will for sure be invariably involved in fronting the money for a shop like a glass blower would be. I've got to have a glass blowing shop. I've got to yeah. get all the stuff together. Wilbur will tell you that. Makes Anybody sense. will tell you that. Yeah. Neon shop. It's expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So you, it's, it's, but it's kind of cool because you end up working in a field that has a purpose. It's art that works. It is a sign. It's art that works, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're involved in neon in any way, you probably have a pigeon, you know, a little pigeonhole right there in the medium in somewhere, whether you're the glass bender, the assembler, uh, the person who's the project manager, getting these things to get out in the world and happen. You're in the architecture, engineering side of it. You're in the metal fabrication side of it. You're in the painting side of it. You're in all those things it requires to make like a sign work, right? Yeah. So it's a wonderful place to be involved if you're into sculpture or objects and you can kind of pay to support that habit of working in this medium, you know? Yeah. And I now at the end of all that, I find myself in a position of kind of like convincing public art decision-making boards that... Um, that's like one of my next social media posts is like, hey, look at all these pieces of public art I have fronted the money for or have convinced people to front money for to put out in the world. 
that have resisted the elements and have done very well. Because it's always what I hear. It's like, yeah, it's the neon stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's cost prohibitive. It's, it's, it's expensive. It's not going to last. We've got a, you know, it's not like a bronze sculpture or something like that. You know what I yeah. mean? So at this point in time, you know, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm currently looking for opportunities I think are good fits for somebody else understanding the impact of not just what I've done, but what we've all done in this medium to make it impactful, last a long time, efficient, all those things that we know it is to then just be accepted. Like this is a great opportunity for, um, you know, public art where the artist is not finding the money and not doing all that stuff. So with the Bellevue arts museum, you have the, the, the piece in the lobby. Yep. Yeah. You have the sign up top. It's not um, a sign, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the, <laughs> the sculpture, the sculpture up top. All good. My bad. It's all good. Um, and then they also pointed out a, like a bike frame. Oh yeah. The bike frame. Yeah. So tell us about the bike frame. Love that's the bike out there. frame, man. Love that thing. Um, yeah, I, you know, I grew, I, it's one thing I grew up doing. I was like, you know, BMX bike riding and bike riding has always been a part of my life. Um, you know, as a kid, it was just like, obviously as a kid, you're riding bikes, right? Yeah. And we lived out in the country. And so it was like riding into the town was huge. Uh, then also it was like an escape. Like I'm basically escaping what's going on home and just taking a ride. Um, and then it became through all the legal troubles, transportation, you know what I mean? Like that's how I got way back into biking and was like, Oh, I can't drive for like the next five years. Cool. Maybe a biker, you know, and <laughs> into that. And I moved to Seattle and I was like, cool, the messenger world. I'm into that, you know, and then fixed gear, right. It's always been there with me, but, um, that it just like one day occurred to me, like that was also something I was chasing, you know? So I started making these, um, you know, bike frames and, and I love to just get in, I love to get into it, to shut the world out for a little bit and get into the fabrication studio and just get the TIG welder out and start working on stuff. And um, that was when I was like, I'm going to make this bike. This is like the bike that is me growing up and all this kind of stuff. And then it kind of became a symbol of like this, it, it was done. And I'm like, eh. And so I just cut the front off. Yeah. Like decapitated it, you know? And I was like, oh, that's tight, you know? And with the chain and everything. And, 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 they, and the curator there, um, Ben Haywood, man, he's, he was, he's like pivotal. He's awesome. Cause he came through and he kind of understood all these things. He was like, Hey, let's get the funding. Let's put these big sculptures up. Let's do this thing. Like he, he saw that vision. He got, he got behind that. That was so cool. And he also was like the bike. I want to show it outside. I want to lock it up. Let's just leave it there. And I'm like, yes, dude, thank you. Like you get it. Like it's, it's not identified as art. Yeah. It isn't Something identified as art. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I was going to comment on is that, you know, she takes me out there and she's like, okay, this is his his piece and and i'm looking at it and i'm watching people walk by it right and and, yeah, and it looks like basically someone just um, garbage chained chained yeah. their bike up there and someone stole the tires stripped and, it down <laughs> and stripped it down totally and so so that dynamic where people don't you know right out of the gate know that it's art that it sounds like to you that that is cool oh it's the ultimate yeah oh it's the ultimate it just it, it's the ultimate because you know what it does is it, it, it does so much stuff but like when I, what i love about that is it just strips away we all know that even if we love our jobs everybody hates just the professionalization of it, of everything this whole this whole world is so professionalized and it, you know and it has to be on some level. There has to be a job description in order to have a performance review and to be able to, it has to be all articulated. It does, yeah. you know? But the art world is the worst version of it because like, if you were really, really into what I think art means, then you would have already been passed into Nirvana and beyond. 
you know like there's no reason that you have to make it and then go show it and then have someone tell you that they're into it or engage in a discussion that is like dynamic because they're not into it and then have it be this think piece and then have it be all this other shit that gets attached to it like i just it's just so annoying mm. <laughs> i'm sorry it is you know and so to have something just be something and just be somewhere it's real right yeah you know and it doesn't have to be attached to a museum like that could have been anywhere and I just think that that's cool that you just kind of come up on something, you don't photograph it, you don't tell anybody, it just happened, you were there, it was there, something happened, you move on. Yeah. And the the pieces that are, well, the source code, which is the sculpture outside, Mm -hmm. and the the screen... uh, Screens. The screens in the lobby. Yeah. Those pieces, are they permanent, or how long are they going to be there? Well, actually, I'm taking the source code down next week. Or okay. the week after, on the 22nd. Um, and that has been there for almost a year. So that's cool. Totally into that. Um, there's another one of those towers in Wyoming that my friends commissioned um, um, there. Um, or the university commissioned, um, I should say. Um, but that is there, and this source code comes down. And so that'll... That, but it's been there for a year. Yeah. Yeah. So um, totally... That thing's awesome. Super psyched on that one. I love that piece. Um, you know, it's a hate jammer. That's the whole purpose of it. It's a, it's, it's a huge... You no, know, it's a telecom tower that we made from scratch with Lars Borgeson. I yeah. always work with Lars as a fabricator. He's amazing. Okay. Um, but yeah, made that from scratch. Um, it emulates a telecom tower. Um, but the symbols on it, you know, are actually, you know, symbols that I have as a, you know, my wife and I both have these now, you know, as a, as a, these tattoos. For the right? listeners, he's showing his, yeah. his forearm here with some yeah. symbols. And you have yeah. the squares at the bottom, this, this, you know, the three squares, that's, you know, it's like the base of the pillar. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the energy that can come out of that if you sort of find this focal point, right? A personal or spiritual um, or mental focal point. And then it's all related, but energy comes out of that. That's the lines coming up, which, you know, forms the triangle if it meets other energy, which is the strongest shape and, you know, the unity of that. And if you find that, then, right, that leads to, you know, the beyond, which are these circles. Like mm. that's this idea, which I did draw this by watching Fletch one day okay so chevy chase chevy chase love you know i watch i've i get such you know crap from this my family they're like how many times you seen terminator i'm like i don't know 300 times probably you know like (laughs) mad max i just watch these old movies over and over and i'll I'll just because i zone out i'll just draw or like whatever and just watch them fletch and drew those and you know put it away and i was like that's something's in that you know and um so to be on that tower it's also each one of those is actually five layers you know the circles are five not three because it's the five elements it's helium, neon, argon, krypton, and xenon, you know? So it's the elemental, it's the elements, and then it's glass, clear yeah. glass. Um, so at night, they glow those, their particular colors. Those gases all glow their own certain color. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no filler. It's all just like the elements, the glass, it's on this tower, it's in this formation, and it just broadcasts positivity. Yeah. That's the whole purpose. So you mentioned you like film and music. What are you watching these days, and what are you listening to? Uh... <laughs> Start with what I'm listening to because everyone's just like, what is up with you, man? I'm actually listening to a ton of Grateful Dead. Oh, nice. I'm like way into it. And that is like super left field for me. Yeah. Um, you know, my son's named Bowie. So I'm a huge Bowie fan, of course. And um, I love noise, like 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 groups like Black Dice. That's like the early kind of like 2000s. Um, I love you know, ambient of all forms, Tim Hacker. Um, but, you know. Lately, I've been listening to, we just had Amy Winehouse on last night, you know, on the turntable, but uh, Grateful Dead, a lot of Grateful Dead and a lot of like live Europe 72 albums, but also just, 
American Beauty and Working Man's Dead. I love those. I love studio albums like that where you just can kind of hear how they construct things yeah. and like how it comes together. And Did you ever get to see the dead? No, never did. And hate jam music and hate that whole world <laughs> and all that stuff. It's so it just, yeah, I hate it. It's just like, like we just started going out to Orcas Island recently and kind of like taking breaks. My wife's an artist and she works a lot. So we're like trying to get better at vacations. But just went out there, and I don't know, man. I've always liked American Beauty just because it's like a, like a classic. You know, oh, that is a classic. Classic yeah. album, you know? Yeah. And I love that idea of a classic album. So, Box like, of Rain. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Friend of the Devil. I mean, all that stuff. It's yeah. just like, man, it's so good. So, anyway, just listen to that a lot lately. And then watching, I'm real bad because I hate TV shows. I hate them. I hate the episodes. It drives me insane. I'd rather read a book. Um, but movie-wise, I think what the, <laughs> this is terrible. The last movie that we saw that I just actually thought was hilarious were these like series of these John Travolta movies on Netflix, okay. and they're so bad. Yeah. Like it's insane how bad they There's are. There's a lot of bad John Travolta movies. It's crazy. Yeah, these current ones. It's like it's like when Nicolas Cage needed a lot of money. He made all these terrible like you know yeah. like indonesian produced movies that are just like let's just get them and get them done well and then there's know? face off with john travolta which and is, is like Cage, the right? combo is yeah. you know it's like <laughs> whoa man this exists you know and um so that that's on that's on like a super guilty pleasure level but um i've actually uh the one that resonates most closely that i keep thinking about that i've seen lately is um two things well one thing that i watched recently again it was a master i watched that a couple times over and over you know pt anderson's the master Mm. Joaquin Phoenix, okay, Osmer yeah. Hoffman, yep, the Scientology Sh- movie, right? Yeah, just yeah. the performances there. And then um, what we're most excited about coming out is Lighthouse, the Lighthouse, hmm. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Which I have is, not heard about that. One. It's the yeah. guy who made the movie The Witch, and so it's like really kind of um, um, it's the movie as a as a weird format. It's kind of like a like a weird square format, like an old old kind of like early nineteen hundreds kind of format. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird sepia black and white, and it's kind of like really tense telling in kind of colloquial English at this like lighthouse in like the probably late 1800s, um, probably 1900s. That looks really killer. Um, and then, and then on books, I mean, I mean, I'm just voracious, just read a ton. I'm reading a book about an, uh, an architecture group called, uh, elemental, um, like South America and they do like really cool projects. And then, um, Rachel Cusk wrote this series of books that's pretty cool. Um, I guess the one I'm reading right now is, um, uh, outline. I think that's the, that's the first one. That's pretty cool. Um, a book of poetry, um, about the Japanese internment camps that, uh, my wife is, is half Japanese. And so we're going to an event called Densho in November, which is a group that acknowledges and communicates the experiences of Japanese Americans who are in the internment camps mm. on the West coast, which no one ever talks about. Yeah. In fact, I found out that the only Japanese American museum in the world is in Seattle at the wing Luke. You know, what? that's, that's it. That's the one Oh my that is the one. So it just never gets talked about. And I found this book of poetry about it that, um, again, I'm in the bookstore at LA Bay and I like walk up to the shelf and I'm looking at all this, like this imprint called song cave. And I'm like, well, that looks like a cool one. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, this is about crazy. Like I'm going to go to this in November. And you know, so it was just cool to you know, know more about that history and talk about my wife and her mom and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I have a couple more questions. Okay. Um, I've been experimenting with having a set of, I don't have stock questions in my interviews, but my editors told me, maybe have a couple of stock we gotta, questions. We got to know, know something. Yeah. yeah. Imagine you're standing in front of a room full of people, just starting out in your field, hungry to succeed. What are the two pieces of advice you would give them? One piece of mindset advice and one piece of tactical advice. 
well, I think on a mindset advice, I would say that, you know, really the only time you ever start at the top is when you're digging a hole. I mean, you know, I believe in that. That's, that's something that's really important to kind of know. And it took me a long time to understand that because you got to get in and you got to get on it. You know, you know, you don't know where you're going. And that's always the part that I think stumbles people up. I mean, it still stumbles me up. I get into a project and I'm just kind of like, oh my God, like, how are we going to get there? Like, what are we going to, you know, how are we, we going to do this thing? And it's only through, like, I think when, when I was younger, it was cockiness. And I think that now it's like, hopefully more from the confidence that I'm just going to keep going and, you know, something's going to work out, but it's going to change. You know? That idea in the beginning, is like, hey, I'm going to build a mountain that's going to be mine but it's because you dig in the ground to get that dirt out to do that. But when you start digging, there's things in there that you never knew were going to be in there and they're going to change everything. Yeah. You know, that's just how it is. And I think on a tactical thing for me, it's always been this one thing that was kind of like taught to me by this, like kind of like redneck magician that I grew up with named Keith Toll, very, the funniest guy I ever met, but the most kind of like oddly spiritual and, and, redneck magician they could do anything you know and I have many stories about Keith but um, his, his whole thing was like uh, TTM you know TTM like, what's TTM it's like timing technique and maintenance you know it's like I have the timing I'm, I'm good you know and a technique for sure and the maintenance to kind of keep that tight and then when things shift it's like maintenance and timing are off so like the technique hopefully can pick up right yeah. but it's kind of like a triangle you know so I think it keeps you present I think it keeps you honest. I think that's been the most powerful thing for me as a creative person. Yeah. Which, which piece of work are you most proud of and why? Uh, you know, I think I, I hate to kind of go with the trope that it's like, you know, like I think an artist is always super psyched on the newest thing that, that they've made. And cause obviously, you know, um, I mean, I can definitely pick out some, some, some kernels throughout all the, all the shit that I've made. I mean, um, I think most of all it would, you know, if you asked me a year ago, it definitely would have been metanoia because it's, it's the most, it was the most, um, challenging thing and it, it, it made some relationships and it broke some relationships along the way. So I think that's been the most formative piece I would say favorite piece would definitely be all my friends up at the museum of museums. Yeah. Um, it feels like a real big victory lap a, a, a nice culmination of saying, Hey, I don't want to do anything this year. Cause I'm just kind of like, what would I do? What would I, what would I say? I have nothing left to say. I've said it all, you mm. know, like I really have, if it were at this point in time, you know? So that's like a victory lap. That's like so cool. It happens so fast. And it just is like what it's supposed to be. And it's not perfect. There's like tons of little, like, Oh my God, I would never have done that. But like, you know, fuck it. It's awesome. You yeah. Know, and everyone's stoked on it. And, you know, saw someone last night. I mean, you know, literally, man, I'll be somewhere and someone will yell out the window, Dylan, I saw mom. I love it. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Like, yeah. Awesome. You know, and yeah, this guy's like, man, it's like anchor in the neighborhood. And I'm like, well, that's cool. That's you know, great. That feels good. Like, and it was just, again, not a fluke, but it just came together. You know? Yeah. So well, I, cool. you know, when you look around, it, it is such a dark area of town and to, to light it up, to literally light up. A sure. neighborhood like that yeah. must feel even during cool. the day. Yeah, like it's even during the day you can see it. You know, which is like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's cool. So where can people find you online, social media, and otherwise? Uh, you know, I've really peeled back the you know the website now is is still dylanneurf.com, but it's just like one page. I saw and there's that a contact, yeah. <laughs> and there's like this like I was born in this year, and I'm gonna die in this year. Um, you know, I'll be 77 years old. I was born in 1977. I hope I lived to 77 years old. That's a great age. Yeah. Perfect. So that's that. And then here's my social media. And all they have, it really is, uh, you know, I've always had a, 
uh, a fun, strong Facebook presence because it's always been a big community there. Um, and then, of course, Instagram, um, you know, it's always always been fun. And then um, I've got one little, I started, you know, I started writing a novel that I've been working on for like 20 years and I've got like half a page up on Medium. I haven't added back to it yet. It's still in progress. That's one thing I've like, you know, it's on the on the horizon here constantly. Um, and then that one video, that's it. Yeah. You know, and that's what's up there. I feel that's like, hey, this is, I'm saying like, this, yeah, this is what I do. Now know? that video can be found at the BAM site. Is that right? It's or? on BAM site and it's on Vimeo. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, I, to be honest, I've had people, um, you know, I, I've, I've so enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, I've had people reach out for interviews and I just send them the video. Yeah. You know, like, here you go. Yeah. This it says a lot. What else do you need? It's all here, you know? Right. So, um, well, Dylan Newer, thank you so much for talking my pleasure. with us. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time. And as always, go find your dream path.